declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10. And coming at you from the great state of Texas, Texas. the Theology Nerds are back with another edition of Bridge Radio. Hello, y'all. Welcome to everyone who is tuning in. We are the Christian podcast that brings on the world's top Christian apologists, theologians, and scholars to uh, talk about their books, right? Got it. Yep. And uh, we like to talk all things theology, Christian living, worldview, eschatology, postmill, and baptism. I slipped that one in. <laughs> oh, man. Today, That's we... terrible. <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be like that. Oh, restart, restart. <laughs> Today we will be discussing the spicy and always controversial topic of free will uh, with a first-time guest. But before we introduce him, I'm your host, Julio Amad Rodriguez. And across from me, I have my co-host. He's back. He's back. back. He's back from the grave. A.W. Varilla. I'm back from the grave. This is the second, second, second one, yes, so... Uh, feels good to be back. It yes. does. It does. What did you call him the other day, Steve, or earlier? Was it A W? Middle initial was W. Yeah, right. That's Spanish for A W. Yeah, so, I W. And just a clarification too. Whenever I say you call me July, I don't think a lot of people realize that Julio is Spanish for July. Yeah. So a lot of people look at me like, "What do you mean?" And I think they just think it's like a cool nickname. But it's, I think yeah. you need a better theologian name than July. Okay, this we'll work on that. We'll yeah. work on that. Anyway, across from me is the <laughs> boss himself, the president of Bridge Ministries, Mr. Steve Dan Hartog. What's going on, everybody? We're uh, glad to have you here for this program. If you are new, please subscribe. You can tune into all of our po- uh, our past and present weekly podcast via iTunes, Google Play, Android, Windows, and through our Bridge app. So please subscribe. Listened also to to our past podcast with Dr. Mitch Stokes. Not only was a fantastic program with him talking about his book, uh, How to Be an Atheist, uh, but also in the introduction, we kind of had a free giveaway yeah. with uh, Sinclair Ferguson's uh, Ligonier DVD set through the uh, what, what is it? the Sermon on the Mount. There you mm-hmm. go, the Sermon on the Mount. I got it at G3, so I'll be giving that away for free if you just drop a review. But go listen to that podcast. You'll find out more information about that. And clarify the title a little bit, just for our listeners. Sermon uh, on the Mount. Yes. No, The with the uh, last podcast, um, oh, how, how to be an atheist. How? Yeah, how to be an atheist. Yeah, <laughs> it's, in case it, our it's listeners are like, did he just say that? What? <laughs> Oh yes, book, okay. No, book. he's no, not. We haven't gone apostate. Yeah, yeah no, that's, no. That's, I just want to yeah. clarify. Okay, that. yeah, no, it's it's. We're totally not teaching people how to be atheists. It's <laughs> it's it. Just go listen to the podcast. Yes, yeah, anyway. the name of the book. Just. So, so everybody here has listened to uh, Babylon B, right? Yes. yes. Okay. So I, I I actually I love reading their titles, and so this was the uh, this was the one this morning, but it said John MacArthur heals charismatic man of belief in miraculous <laughs> gifts. So the, so that was a report uh, that that came out, and it said that Mar- uh, MacArthur during a service someone challenged him to a debate on on his cessationism, and so he nicely called this individual up to the podium, and, and something interesting happened but it says here quote uh macarthur then calmly removed his suit jacket took a step back and just went nuts on the guy according to witnesses smacking him dozens of times with the coat before (laughs) the man finally went limp and toppled backwards into the into the waiting arms of phil johnson (laughs) arise my child macarthur whispered you are healed after the pastor's words had had breathed new life into him the man jumped up and joyously shouted quote the miraculous 
miraculous gifts were the sign of a new dispensation and ceased with the passing of the apostle and the closing of the New Testament canon. Hallelujah, I am healed. The crowd cheered as MacArthur put his jacket back on and returned to preaching through the New Testament, half a verse at a time. Oh, I, I love Babylon B. Yeah. They're so good. I don't know who does their writing. Yeah. So, we love to have funny fun stuff. Here. Anyway, funny. guys, so let's go ahead and dive in, into the topic. I, I, I digress. We have our guests waiting patiently. But uh, joining us is pastor of Summit Lake Community Church in Mancos, Colorado. He is the author of a book titled, What About Free Will? Reconciling Our Choices with God's Sovereignty. Our guest also graduated with a Master's of Divinity degree with honors from the Master's Seminary in Sun Valley, California, exactly where that incident happened. (laughs) (laughs) He and his wife uh, have four children, and welcome and thank you for coming on to Bridge Radio, Pastor Scott Christensen. Glad to be here. So uh, would you you say that uh, MacArthur would do such a thing? Absolutely, he he did that to me, and, uh, and, and cured me of all my all of my uh, bad theology. <laughs> I I love Babylon B. I thought that was just a hilarious article. Anyway, uh, Pastor Christensen, uh, like I I said before the program, me and Steve and Hartog have been reading your book. Uh, what about free will? Obviously, a very uh, complex and controversial topic, and mm-hmm. I think all all of us really need to engage and kind of look into it. But in the introduction of your book, you write. Biblical Christianity makes two indisputable affirmations. Uh, what are those two affirmations, and is it possible to reconcile them? Sure, yeah. Um, historically, Christians have always affirmed, number one, that, that God is in control of all that happens in time and space and history, and uh, which means essentially that he is sovereign in some sense. And of course, that depends on how you define his sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. so that that's the first affirmation. Secondly, that human beings are responsible moral agents who freely decide the course of their lives. And of course, that has uh, specific definitions as well. Um, and basically, the, the way that, that um, those two notions have been reconciled uh, comes down to two basic positions, and using the kind of language of modern philosophy, which also deals deeply in this topic alongside of theology, uh, you'll might you might hear the terms libertarianism and compatibilism, mm-hmm. and libertarianism basically is the position historically associated with Arminianism, um, you know, which is where what most people think of when they think of the word free will. Mm-hmm. And then compatibilism is historically associated with Calvinism and uh, has a, a whole different take on human freedom and responsibility. Can you uh, unpack a little bit more what uh, libertarian free will is? When people talk about free will, there's just a whole lot of different conceptions Mm -hmm. as to what free will is. And uh, so could you talk about that a little bit more, especially from a libertarian perspective? Sure. You know, most people, when they use the word free will, and I point this out in my book, they have a pretty muddy idea of what they mean by that. If you ask somebody, you know, everybody says, you know, you'll hear people all the time say, oh, yeah, I believe in free will. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you ask them, well, what does that really mean? And and most people have have a difficult time trying to define, you know, what that means. But historically, the libertarian 
position has held to two basic ideas. And the first and the most important idea that they hold to is that God in no way can determine our choices. Hmm. So there's no sense in which God stands behind uh, the choices that human beings make in, in any kind of way. He cannot be the determinant, you know, the determinating factor uh, as far as what they choose. So that's the first plank. Mm-hmm of libertarian free will. And the second plank uh, is the idea that you could always act differently in any given situation. So if you Mm. wake up one morning and decide to go to church, you know, on a Sunday morning, you could just as easily have made the decision not to go to church. Sure. And, uh, And so that you have these equal options before you and that nothing determines ultimately or sufficiently determines which choice you make. Right. Uh, you can make either either one of those choices. So those those two ideas are basically what stands behind uh, libertarian notions of free will. And that second uh, point that you made, that's often referred to as the power of contrary choice. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. So exactly. it's that absolute freedom to do either a or b there's no there's no predisposition either way you can make uh, a choice uh, absolutely to the contrary of what uh, what uh, you would normally do yes and 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 those who espouse this view of free will say that that is the only way that we can be responsible mm-hmm. uh, for our choices as if we could have chosen differently than than we actually did sure and so the idea also that goes alongside that, if God somehow determines our choices, then the assumption is that he must be coercing us or forcing us against our will uh, to, to do what we do, and therefore we're just like puppets on a string. Right. Um, you know, and God is the master puppeteer, if you will. Sure. Scott, why would you say that this subject is so important on free will? Well, um, you know, a lot of people think that this this debate is not important, that it's just wrangling over issues that the Bible is not clear on and, and whatnot. But I would say it has a, has a profound impact on all sorts of uh, areas of the Christian life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're trying to sort out God's role and our role— in terms of our salvation, how, how do we make sense of what it means to be converted? Um, what does regeneration really mean? You know, how does sanctification work? Uh, you know, how do we engage in evangelism and discipleship? How do we think about those aspects of the Christian life? Um, you know, you can think of it in more personal terms. You know, how do you build confidence in God's providential purposes for your own life. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you know what he wants you to do? Uh, And, you know, things like that. Um, You know, and and other questions arise too, you know, if, um, you know, you know, a lot of people will raise questions, you know, about God's sovereignty. If God determines uh, the course of the events in my life, then how can I be responsible for my actions? you know, if I, you know, how, how can I have a meaningful relationship with God uh, if his sovereignty appears to undermine, you know, my choice to freely love him, as many Arminians would 
would uh, would say. Sure. Um, you know, how does prayer work? You know, how, how do we think about prayer? You know, when we pray to God, is are we asking Him to actually accomplish something, mm-hmm. or are we just yeah. asking Him to maybe influence people? But ultimately, it's up to them whether or not you know something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know things like that, so so it has a it has very practical impact. You know, very practical impact on the way you think about many aspects of the Christian life. And so, so in that regard, I think it's a very important matter. Yeah, it seems like lately it's just been. I feel like it's been talked a lot just in the Christian realm circles. I mean, we've talked about it a little bit. It just seems like it keeps popping up. <laughs> oh, even more so, I think, recently. I've yeah. noticed it, yeah. Yeah, just the rise in Reformed theology. I think people are starting to notice, uh, you know, obviously if you hold to Reformed theology, you're going to hold to compatibilism. I mean, that's the mm-hmm. most consistent position. And, and with that comes a lot of straw men and, mm, yeah. you know, misrepresentation. Um, and, and, and just going off with what uh, Pastor Christensen was saying, I think one of the aspects of compatibilism that was very applicable applicable in my life was um, evangelism. It was huge for me knowing that God has already ordained uh, certain individuals to be saved. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at John 10 and my sheep hear my voice and, and know they know, them. yeah, the, I know them and they know me. And just the, having the confidence that when you preach the gospel that People are people are here. We'll pe- hear. People will hear, and it will yeah. it will not return void. Yeah. And so, just having that 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 confidence in that. Uh, Scott, for those who are uncomfortable with the topic of free will, what would you say to them? Well, um, I would say that that you know, if you're going to really understand, you know, what the Bible says um, about God's sovereignty, about our our responsibility. As as human beings, that you've got to you've got to delve into that those realities. It, it is a daunting uh, topic. It can be uncomfortable for people, but I would say that in the end, it's a very freeing topic. I use that word <laughs> mm-hmm. um, ironically, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But um, you know that when you come to see God's sovereignty. Uh, in our lives, it gives us great confidence uh, yeah. to live our lives knowing that that even though from our perspective, from our human perspective, we often fail, we often uh, disobey yeah. uh, God's word, we we face trials and tribulations that, that seem to overwhelm us, and we think, how can God be at work in, in these things? And so, first of all, just Understanding and grasping God's sovereignty um, gives the believer incredible confidence uh, that God has a good plan, a good purpose. That He, you know, as as Paul says in Romans eight twenty eight, you know, He causes all things to work mm-hmm. together for good yeah. for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Mm-hmm. But the other thing too is that when you understand, I think, what the Bible says, and you look at both the divine perspective and the human perspective, because the Bible speaks in both languages. You know, you begin to see that God has graciously allowed us as his creatures and especially as his children to be able to participate with him, you know, in his plans, in his unfolding of history. We're not on the sidelines. Sure. You know, we're not, 
these puppets on a string. God makes use of us as his means of accomplishing his work. Mm-hmm. And in the, and for the most part, God does not accomplish his purposes apart from uh, what we do and how, and the choices that we make. Mm. And so it doesn't make our choices meaningless. Mm. Yeah, uh, that's a distortion of, of the Calvinistic view, which essentially uh, equates it to fatalism. And fatalism is, is basically a pagan notion. Right. Uh, there's not a single Calvinist who would embrace fatalism, right. uh, which is basically the idea that what will be will be, and what you do makes no—it doesn't matter what you do. Mm. It, it, something is going to happen, and there's nothing you can do to stop that from happening. That's not what the Bible teaches. Yeah, and I love Jeremiah uh, 29:11, where God says, "I know, I know, I know the plans that I have for you," declares the Lord, "not for good, not for good, not for evil." Right. Uh, and I'm just, uh, uh, yeah, it's just littered all over the Bible. Um, and God's yeah, absolute sovereignty. God's absolute sovereignty. When, when you get into the Word, it's going to smack you in your face. And, and we have to ask those questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, it's there. Pa- Pastor Christensen, uh, uh, another question, and you, you brought it up right now, and that's that there's a lot of straw manning with the compatibilistic view that we're kind of automaton robots and, you know, um, we don't have any sense of free will um, at all. Um, could you clarify that in the sense of, of of us doing evangelism? Because one of the common objections that, that I have gotten is, well, there's no point in preaching the gospel. Um, could, could you clarify that a little bit for, for our audience? Because that is probably one of the most common objections that, that we get and that I have gotten. Yeah, you often hear people people say that. Well, if God is sovereign, why why evangelize? Um, you know, what what difference does that make? And, and again, that that makes an assumption um, uh, about Calvinistic forms of evangelism that um, you know that would indicate some kind of fatalism, and that's just simply not true. God uses means. Mm-hmm in order to accomplish his purposes sure. and so um so we know for example from romans uh, you know romans 10 that that apart from the preaching of the word that faith cannot be exercised hmm. um you know so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of christ and uh and, and so so it is impossible for someone to exercise faith unless they have the message preached or communicated to them in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, you simply cannot exercise faith without that message being preached. God doesn't generally speak his messages, you know, directly from heaven. Right. Uh, he uses instruments to preach that message. And, and so that's an, an essential necessary component to how God has orchestrated the work of salvation, uh, you know, which is, you know, uh, the work of evangelism. I, I think of example, you know, if you look at Acts um, 16, uh, verse 14 in, in particular, mm-hmm. you know, this is this is the story of the conversion of Lydia. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. She was a, a, a wealthy woman, a businesswoman, apparently, from the city of Thyatira. She was says that she was a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God. That means that she was a, a, a Gentile woman who had converted to Judaism. 
And now Paul comes along to the city of, of Philippi, where she happened to be, and uh, and he began uh, preaching um, the gospel. And, and the verse says that she responded. But what's interesting about the verse is the last uh, statement that, that Luke makes as he's writing uh, the book of Acts, recording this, this incident. It says that the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Mm-hmm. So there's really three components there to what's going on. There's, first of all, words that are spoken by Paul. There's the message that Paul is speaking. And so it's necessary that someone preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. How can they hear unless someone is sent, Paul says in Romans 10. Yeah. You know, and, and so the message must be preached. Who's going to preach that gospel? We are. You know, we are called to do that. Secondly, notice that she had to listen to the gospel. You have to hear the gospel. You can't, God doesn't zap people with salvation. He doesn't just, you know, just suddenly you're walking down the road and one minute you're not a Christian and next minute you are and some, you know, miraculous thing in that regard happens. Now, of course, the work of regeneration and the heart of a human being is miraculous. Mm-hmm. And really that's what is described in the other part of the verse, which says that the Lord opened her heart. Mm-hmm. You know, so apart from God opening her heart, it would have been impossible for her to believe, to respond yeah. to the message of Paul. Right. Uh, but without the preaching of Paul, without her hearing that message, you know, the Lord is not going to use any other means by which to open the heart. And, yeah. and so those become necessary components, you know, in the work of evangelism. And, and But it gives us confidence because it, yeah. it causes us to realize that our responsibility as Christians is just faithfulness. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Faithfulness to preach, and then we leave the work of changing hearts to God because we can't change hearts. Amen. Right. Amen. Yeah, you know, we we're our responsibility is simply faithfulness to preach the word, you know, and and to look for every opportunity, you know, that we are given sure. uh, to do so. Yeah, absolutely. It's really an understanding of God controlling both the ends and the means, the mm-hmm. means to accomplish those ends, and he uses us as as uh, components of those means to, you know, accomplish his ultimate purposes. Exactly. And then uh, I was also thinking uh, earlier when you were talking a little bit uh, about the significance of the subject of uh, compatibilism. Uh, I think it was Tozer who said that uh, a proper understanding of God spares us from 10,000 temporal problems. And I just uh, have come to appreciate that so much. And and when we understand that, uh, you know, have that peace that both of these truths are uh, are true. These uh, these you know the, the the fact that God is sovereign and uh, also right. He uses our you know free will properly defined in a way yeah. um, to accomplish His purposes. It gives us that peace that whatever happens is not outside of His control. Right. That uh, He's going to work it for our good and for His glory. So yeah, and I. Before understanding the absolute sovereignty of God, I was a very anxious person. Yeah. <laughs> and once I came to understand God's absolute sovereignty, I mean, that's 
exactly what Steve had just mentioned by the by that A. W. Tozer quote. Um, it's absolutely true. And uh, and with that said, uh, uh, Pastor Christensen, uh, what was the journey of of you coming to kind of reform theology and this understanding of of God's absolute sovereignty. Was there a struggle there? Uh, kind of like you didn't want to to face that <laughs> that mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think for for many Christians, you know, I, I often say that that by nature we're Pelagian, yeah. which is without getting into depth as to what Pelagianism is, it's mm-hmm. basically a very extremely human centered focus. You know that everything depends upon us, even our our, our salvation ultimately, yeah. mm. and, and we know that that that's not what the Bible really teaches. Mm. But um, you know, I had been a Christian for for a number of years. I, I really be first made a profession of faith in Christ when I was about twelve years old, as a, as a young boy. But it was in a very an old school, uh, independent Baptist fundamentalist kind of church. <laughs> you know where they gave the altar call at. at every meeting and that kind of thing. And, and I remember, you know, I can remember when I was in Sunday school, mm-hmm. you know, it, it seemed that any time they gave an altar call, I was up there, you know, raising my hand and, mm-hmm. and cause I was afraid I had lost my salvation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was afraid that, that something had happened in the intervening weeks between the last altar call and the new <laughs> altar call, you know, that caused me to lose my salvation. And so I needed to go back up again and, and renew this commitment and renew this, this thing. Cause I was afraid I, I you know, because in that worldview and that, that distorted picture of what the Bible teaches, everything depends on you. Yeah, and so I, I wrestled with it, and I don't think that I was not a true believer at the time. I just think I was a very confused young believer, mm. and um, and as I matured, uh, I um, moved to another place and went to a, another church, um, and and met a friend who started talking about this strange stuff in the Bible about God's <laughs> sovereignty. And I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? This this stuff isn't in the Bible. And, and you know, and he would start showing me these passages and they were very disturbing to me. Mm. <laughs> and when, as I look back, I realized the reason why they were disturbing to me is because they undercut my own autonomy. They undercut um. my own sense of of what I would have considered freedom and my power to you know, to forge my path, you know, even, even in the realm of my Christian beliefs and so forth. Mm. And, uh, and I wrestled with, with those things for, for quite some time. And, um, and then I remember I was, I was, I think it was a sophomore in college, uh, and this was in New Jersey. And, and I, I drove my, my car to the, the college parking lot where I was attending. And I had, you know, I don't know, I had it like, 20 minutes, half an hour before my class started. And I just sat in my car and started my Bible. And sure enough, I came to Romans chapter nine, which you know, <laughs> the famous strikes, nine <laughs> <laughs> strikes, strikes fear and trembling in just about anyone who, yeah. who reads that passage. And, and it literally did. It struck me like a bolt of lightning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I sat in my car reading that over and over again. And I was just, dumbfounded <laughs> and and the lights but the lights came on immediately uh-huh. and 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 from that point onward I never I never questioned again 
the, 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 the absolute sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't mean that all my questions were answered, sure. you know, because I still had these questions about, well, where does that place us in terms of our choices and our human responsibility and all that? And so from that point onward, I wrestled with many of these other questions. Mm-hmm. But to me, you know, questions about free will and how all this works are really secondary to the primary issue, which is the transcendent lordship of God. And we have to come to grips with that, no matter how we think about, you know, our own role in terms of, you know, what it means for us to be free or not free, as the case is, because we are trapped by our own sin and apart from God's work of freeing us from, you know, uh, our bondage to sin, we have Mm. no hope. Right. Uh, But it really begins with grasping the sovereignty of God, Mm. first and foremost. Sure. Uh, And it goes back to what you said about Tozer. I mean, the more we understand the person of God, the more we will be drawn to understand who we are in light of God's glory and magnificence. Yeah, amen. Amen, amen. So coming off of that, in your book, uh, you call it the foreknowledge problem. Uh, Classical Arminianism affirms what is called simple foreknowledge. Uh, Can you talk about simple foreknowledge and and how it undermines uh, God's determining, God determining the future? Yeah, the, the, this is a position of Arminians in particular, um, you know, would hold to what is called simple foreknowledge. And, and the idea is simply this, that, that God, God looks down the corridor of time and he, he sees the choices that human beings are going to make. And, and, and so he knows what they're going to make. Um, and, uh, and then that's how he, you know, makes his own choices, so to speak. Um, and, and so, like, for example, the Arminian position on predestination election would be that, well, God looks down this corridor of time. He sees that we are going to make a particular choice, you know, say in an evangelistic setting, and he knows that we're going to choose to believe in Christ. And therefore, based on this knowledge that he gains by looking into the future, he then predestines that individual to salvation. Hmm. Well, of course, that whole notion is really incoherent because yeah. <laughs> it makes any idea of God choosing, you know, superfluous mm-hmm. uh, because really it's the person who has determined what God is going to do. Mm-hmm. And, and this whole reverses the whole role. It's basically saying that my choice is going to determine God's choice mm-hmm. yeah. instead yeah. of God's choice determining my choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it reverses the roles. It really makes man sovereign and not God sovereign, because God is now a prisoner of what we decide. Mm-hmm. And and so what we would have to say in that case is that the future choices of human beings determine what God believes yeah. in the past, mm-hmm. and and um, and that God can't change that in any way. And and so the fact is is that those choices are fixed, you know, because how can they believe any other way? And this, of course, is a major problem with this view. If God knows that, for example, I use this illustration in my book, God knows that you are not going to go to church Sunday morning, 
can you fool God at the last minute and say, yes, I am going to church, (laughs) or vice versa? I got you, God. (laughs) Yeah, you know, but if you think about it, if libertarian free will is true, then we could fool God. Yeah. Because number one, our choices, if libertarian free will is true, then number one, God cannot determine those choices. Number two, we could always choose differently in the same set of circumstances. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, yeah. you can you can rewind the tape, you know, and all the same circumstances are the same. And when you come to that that critical moment of when the choice is actually made, the person, if they truly have free will, according to the libertarian scheme or the Arminian scheme, uh, you could choose one way or the other. And if mm-hmm. that's the case, how could God possibly know which way you're going to choose? He couldn't know. Mm-hmm. And this has been a huge problem for the Arminian position, and it's why some Arminians have radicalized their view and have gone into this position that, that is known as open theism. And open theism embraces the same view of, um, of libertarian free will, but recognizes that this whole foreknowledge issue is a problem, and so they've abandoned it. Mm-hmm. It basically said that God cannot know what the future is with any kind of certainty. He can predict certain things, but in the end, he doesn't really know what you're going to choose. Wow. So he's a and, master chess player, ultimately. He'll, exactly. He'll win, but he doesn't know how. That's, yeah. <laughs> wow, that sounds so ludicrous. Huh? And it, you know, in in support of the Arminian, uh, you know, who wants to at least try to retain something of what the Bible clearly teaches. You know, they want to cling to the fact that yes, God does know the future. They're not going to to move to the open theism position, which mm. both Arminians and Calvinists have clearly said is outside the bounds of orthodoxy. Right. Um, uh, you know, but the problem is, is that they've got, you know, the Arminian position has a huge problem with their embrace of libertarian free will yeah. and the foreknowledge of God. It's very difficult to reconcile those, those things. And they know that's a problem and different philosophers and theologians have tried to come up with ways to overcome it. But basically, they have not been very persuasive um, in doing so. And how talking about just taking the glory away from God of salvation? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. It's uh, synergism as opposed to monergism. It's yeah. it's a combined effort. Yeah. So, and, and and another thing too, off of what you're saying, I mean, the the fact that if you're going to go ahead and redefine what foreknowledge is, um, God has to look down a corridor of time. So God is learning. Yeah. Really, yes. and logically, and, and and I don't know if you if you have anything to to, to say about that, pa- Pastor Christensen. But I think that this whole idea of simple foreknowledge was kind of the linchpin that said compatibilism is the most biblical position there is. But just going off of that dis- that foreknowledge, uh, and and really logically, it's God learning. <laughs> yes, because it's it's saying that God has depended upon things that we do for His knowledge. And that undermines the the aseity of God. The the yeah. word aseity mean that meaning that God is self sufficient. He is self sufficient, self existent. In other words, he is not dependent on anything, let alone his creation. Quite the opposite. 
the whole of creation, including all of God's creatures, are wholly dependent upon him, mm-hmm. not only for their existence, but also for the sustenance of their uh, of everything they do, their their breathing, you know, the whole the whole gamut of the laws of nature are highly are, are wholly dependent upon God. They're not some independent reality, and 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 the libertarian scheme tries to drive a wedge between the creator creature distinction, if mm-hmm. you will, right, mm-hmm. and, and makes man independent of God, and in fact does more than that. It makes God dependent upon them. Upon us, yeah. so that God becomes dependent on on what we do for His knowledge, and and, and as I said, we cannot determine God's past knowledge. Yeah. Uh, uh, so this this automatically lends itself, logically speaking, without even looking to the Scripture. Just logically speaking, that can't be. God must determine the future. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, now there's other questions. You know, people say, well, you know, if the future is fixed, then either God has determined the future or something else has, meaning some other person, some other entity or some other force in the world that that is at odds with God. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just that denies Scripture. It turns into idolatry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Yeah, along those lines, in your book, What About Free Will, on page 49, you say, um, from an Arminian perspective, they claim that God knows the future but doesn't causally determine the future. If God knows the future, however, then it is necessarily fixed and therefore causally determined by something. It can't be determined by the future choices of humans because those choices on the basis of divine foreknowledge are also necessarily fixed before they occur. If God didn't determine the fixity of the future, then some other force, independent of God, did. I just think that's a really good way of fleshing yeah, yeah, out that's, the, that's really uh, good. the uh, argument for God's uh, determination of the future is is uh, decree of the future, not not just a simple foreknowledge. And he's been doing it. This is why. But well, there, there's a, there's a further problem with it too, and, and you can. Sp- talk about this foreknowledge problem all day long but you know if 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 our choices are fixed and god foreknows them therefore they can't change uh you know then how does god respond to that if he's not the one that determined those choices Mm -hmm. that means he can't do anything to change the future yeah he is stuck and he is he is held prisoner to our future choices and there's nothing he can do about it so you think about that in terms of the problem of evil that means that if somebody chooses to make this evil choice you know then there's nothing god can do about it because it's a fixed reality Mm -hmm. and so if god does not have some good purpose behind determining all evil that takes place then, then we've we've got problems there as well, and of course that gets into the whole issue, the problem of evil. And I'm writing a, a follow up book on that Ooh. topic, even as we speak. Nice. Wait to ask for that yeah. for that book. Yeah, and how can we <laughs> and, and how can we trust the promises that Christ has given us for the future? Right. You know. Right. I mean, I'm also I've also thought too about each event that leads up to a specific event in the future. So if, if God knows, say, a thousand years down the road, Julio is going to trust him, how would he even know that unless he decreed each and every event that led up to that? Yeah, Not right. only, you know, Julio's choosing him, 
but Julio being born. Yeah. You know, right? I mean, each you think of the yeah, millions yeah. of events that concur in order for something to happen. And yeah. we had Dr. Steve Lesson on the podcast on world history and how things just um, yeah. came together exactly for uh, the purpose. So you know, please check that podcast. That was really good. How just world events have God has put together to get to you know certain periods of yeah. of history, which yeah. is really interesting. Yeah, and that, that's why I, at the very beginning of the program, I, I quoted Isaiah forty six ten, declaring the end from the beginning, from mm. ancient times yet not yet done, saying, "My counsel shall stand, mm. and I will accomplish all my purposes, all of my purposes." Yeah. <laughs> and that's not Julio uh, saying that. Yes. That's no, that's God. God. That's God saying yeah. that. Exactly. Yes. When you think about the storyline of Scripture in terms of the classic creation, fall, redemption, you know there there is a whole you know there is a whole movement that God is orchestrating within Scripture that is a microcosm of the broader story of history, mm. you know much of which is yet to unfold because we know it as as prophecy, and of course you know at the center of those historical purposes is the person of Christ and His death and resurrection direction and exaltation and, and you know and what Steve Lawson likely was saying is that God had to orchestrate all those things in order to fulfill prophecy, which is part of his plan that centers yeah. around Christ. Mm -hmm. But if he's hamstrung by people's choices, how does he go about doing that? How yeah. do we even make sense of prophecy, which is part of what that Isaiah 46 passage is saying is basically mm -hmm. God, God is declaring, he's basically saying beforehand, here is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is what and, I've decreed. Yeah. 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 Uh, can you also give us some passages, uh, Scott, with regards to compatibilism in Scripture and uh, where we see it uh, undeniably evidenced? Yeah, there's, yeah, boy, there's there's tons of passages yeah. we could go to, um, both in the Old and New Testament. Um, a couple that, that come to my mind um, that are very clear. Uh, if you go to the Old Testament, for example, with the story of Joseph and his brothers, um, you know, we know that, that his brothers sold uh, Joseph into slavery, and this was an evil deed that they did. Uh, and some 20, 22 years later, they, they, they meet again, uh, now that Joseph has been declared the prime minister uh, of, of, um, of Egypt. And, uh, and God orchestrates their meeting together because of the famine. And uh, in chapter 45, uh, they come, become aware of who Joseph is, uh, and they're trembling in their boots. And, uh, and in, in chapter 45, Joseph responds to them and says, Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. And notice that he... He is acknowledge, implicitly acknowledging their responsibility uh, of doing this evil deed. But then in the same breath, he says, For God sent me before you to preserve life. Mm -hmm. um, a couple of verses later, he says, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and mm -hmm. to keep you alive by great deliverance. There, now, therefore, verse 8, this is Genesis 45, now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Sure. Mm -hmm. 
Now that's a curious thing to say because because basically what Joseph is acknowledging is that yes you did send me here I acknowledge that everybody knows that you guys sold me into slavery and you're grieved about this and you understand you were responsible for it you know but I want you to know that behind the scenes in the bigger scheme of what is going on here, it is God who sent me. Mm-hmm. And, and if they were unclear yeah. about that, you go to chapter 50 of, of mm-hmm. Genesis, and they have a second meeting. And, uh, and he says, verse 49, he says, do not be afraid. Uh, again, they're just, they're fearful of what he's going to do to them because of what they did to him. You know, and they, they, they're, again, still trembling in their boots. He says, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? Mm. Right? He says, no, the, I, I'm not in God's place. Yes, God has placed me here, but, but it's not my doing. It's God's doing. Mm. And, and then he says, as for you, going back to this incident of having sold them into slavery, says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present mm-hmm. result. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so there, Joseph is clearly affirming that one event has two explanations. Yeah. One explanation is that, yes, you did something to me, but God also did this same thing. Sure. But mm-hmm. notice the difference. The difference is, is that they had evil intentions yeah. in mm-hmm. what they did. But God has good intentions, and that tells us that no matter what God's plans are, they include both good and evil. In this case, they included evil. Mm -hmm. But God always has a good purpose for any evil that he decrees Mm -hmm. because he is good. He cannot have anything but a good purpose for any evil that takes place. Now, we may not understand what what those, those purposes are, but we know they're there. Uh, another another great passage is is Acts chapter two, you know, which deals with the the critical central event in history, which is the death and resurrection of Christ. And here Peter is preaching. It's on the day of Pentecost. It's the very first sermon that that begins the the the, the church, and uh, and and he says to them, men of Israel. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 22 says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Mm-hmm. But God raised him up again, verse 24. So there again you have the juxtaposition of two entities that stand behind a single event, which is the crucifixion of Christ. Number one, and most importantly, primarily, it is part of the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. And notice that predetermined and foreknowledge are brought together there. Foreknowledge cannot, in Scripture, cannot be separated from God a way of expressing what God already knows he has set forth as part of his plan. And in the Greek language, both of these words, the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, are governed by the same article, Hmm. which indicates that they basically explain one another. Hmm. They're not two separate ideas. They work together Hmm. so that God's foreknowledge is simply that which he has already ordained. 
but you know so that's god's side of the equation but from the human side of the equation peter is 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 accusing them of nailing the jews that is of nailing jesus to the cross by yeah. godless men uh, and, and so there he's affirming their responsibility in this same act. Yes, it's something that God has ordained, and we know that he has ordained it for, for a good purpose, which is the whole work of redemption. But at the same time, they are responsible for this evil deed. And, and so you see there a clear picture of, of compatibilism, of God sovereignly de- determining what will happen, and at the same time, human beings acting according to their own desires uh, freely in accord with their own desires, even though those desires may be corrupted and they're enslaved to them in the case of evil. And even God's mercy, going back to Joseph, the brothers caused evil, but because of yeah. that evil, he was able to save the family. Right. That's right. The family. I mean, I'm sure those guys were probably like, I would, one day in heaven, I want to ask the brothers, like, <laughs> you know, oh, I'm glad it worked out that way. <laughs> yeah, um, Absolutely. Uh, so, Scott, uh, at the end of every show, we have our guests to share the gospel. Would you please uh, share the gospel with our uh, listening audience, please? Well, sure. Uh, I, I think the thing that is is important for us to understand is that when God created human beings, he created them to find their deepest satisfaction in an intimate relationship with himself. He created us to have eternal life, to find our joy in Him. And, uh, you know, Psalm 1611 says, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Uh, So that is God's design for us as human beings, uh, is to find our joy in Him and in Him alone. However... The only way that we can come to have that joy is if we ourselves are conformed to the moral uh, perfection of God himself, and that presents a problem because we have violated God's moral law. We have all sinned, and we have fallen short of this glory of God. And as a result, our, our sin has separated us from God. It separated us from our only hope in God, which is through His Son, Christ. Um, and, and as a result of that, we stand under God's penalty of death, for the wages of sin is death, Paul says in Romans 6.23. And, uh, and so we're in this predicament, we're in this problem um, that we cannot escape, um, and there's nothing we can do to escape that condition on our own. We cannot be accepted by God through any of our good deeds, um, uh, through any religious rituals that we might perform. Um, no one is going to be justified by works of the law, the Bible says. And, uh, and so we've got a problem. Uh, but the good news is this. The good news is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who loves sinners, who died on the cross, Uh, and demonstrated his love towards those who place their faith in Christ, that while they were yet sinners, Christ died for them. He took their penalty, uh, took the penalty of their sin and paid the price on the cross. And at the same time, he supplies to us what we need to be accepted before God, which is his own righteousness. So there's this grand exchange that Christ takes our sin and he bears it on the cross, And at the same time, he gives us 
his righteousness, which we are without. And on the basis of his righteousness, when we place our faith in him, God accepts us. And he rose again from the dead to to demonstrate his power uh, over sin and death and evil, and that by placing our faith in the resurrected, the crucified and resurrected Lord, we can be reconciled by God. We must repent of our sins and place our faith in Christ. And, um, and if we do that, as Paul says, if we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved, Paul says in Romans 10, 9. And uh, that is the beautiful good news of the gospel. Amen. 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 That's the most important part of our program, ladies and gentlemen. That was by Pastor Scott Christensen. He's the author of What About Free Will? Reconciling Our Choices with God's Sovereignty. Brother, thank you so much for uh, coming on the program, taking the time out of your day. We definitely have to have you back again. This was a great podcast. Yeah, it was. Well, thank you for having me. I would just say, uh, for anybody listening out there, if you are interested in this topic, check out the book. It's an excellent it book. It's, it's just uh, very uh, readable, and uh, so I would highly recommend it to anybody who's interested in this topic. Uh, uh, Pastor Scott, where can uh, people find you? Where can they find me? Yes. Um, not your well, address. Not like your address. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I should have clarified that. Not like folks. Yeah. Just like um, a website, a book. Where yeah, I'm, I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Twitter, um, our, our church uh, website is summitlakechurch.org, uh, um, and people can, can look that up uh, if they want to know more um, about me. Um, but, um, but yeah, um, that, that, would be, that would be the best place to, to go. All right. Well, thank you so much, brother. We'll go ahead and let you go. We went a little bit over the 45 minutes, but it was a pleasure of having you on. Yeah, it was. was. Thank Thank you. you. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that was an excellent episode. What did y'all think? Oh, man, it was great. That was really good. This is a podcast I think, like, I'm going to listen once, twice, maybe three times. Yeah, there's a lot of just great information on it. Now, I want to read the book. It's a great, it's a, it's an excellent book. Yeah. I've been working through it. Steve has been working through it. Didn't you actually use finished, it for your... Yeah, I, I read it a couple of years ago, but there is uh, so much in there that we could have talked about, you know, more. more. So if you have other questions, I highly recommend just picking up the book. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. All right, guys. Well, if, um, if you want to find out more information about us, please, please, please go visit www.bridgebookstexas.org. Click our about slash giving page, and you could find more information about this ministry. We are a Reformed Christian bookstore and coffee shop, and our sole purpose for being here is to disciple and equip the saints to proclaim the gospel, uh, not only to our community, but out into the nations. And one of the ways that uh, we are able to do this is through support from from our community or or, or other people here in the United States, and, uh, and this allows us to preach the gospel and do what we do exactly like this program here. So please visit us at our website or also go download our Bridge app. Mm. Uh, you could donate through there through Subsplash, and uh, we would highly appreciate it as we have a lot of things moving out in the future, such as conferences and and video productions. We're trying to get uh, someone to do some Spanish teachings as well. I don't know, Steve, you want to talk a little bit about this since we're a little bit... Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that we have um, looking forward to this year. We uh, really want to provide more teaching content in Spanish, and so we've got uh, some people that were in the 
talking with, and uh, I think we should have some of that coming out pretty soon. So we're excited about that. All right, guys. Well, as always, what is your only comfort in life and in death that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? Thank you. Later. Bye-bye.